Hey, everybody. Very excited to have Jill Sitnik on the show today. Uh, we're going to talk about mental health, psychological, emotional well-being. It is a issue that has, uh, has been long forgotten and is currently surfacing right now as tens of millions of people suffer from depression, anxiety, stress, suicidal tendencies, and PTSD. Her story is very unique. It's, um, it's a very compelling story, and she's going to share her guided journey on MDMA, one that was, believe it or not, uh, initially proposed by her uh, caregiver, so a medical professional. It's, um, it's rare to hear this, but it is also the first time in history that we are taking mental health very seriously and that we're desperate enough to look in other places, such as psychedelics, and why there's quite a bit happening in this space. Um, for a long time, we've relied on pharmaceuticals, but there's a lot of people who are not getting what they need. There's this common belief that uh, you had to have been in a war zone to develop PTSD, but that isn't the case. And we're learning more about that every single day. And um, Jill's story uh, definitely sheds a lot of light that it is not true. You do not have to be in a war zone to develop such symptoms. Um, so I hope you guys learned something from this. It's, uh, it's an hour long and we're going to try to get as many relevant questions in as possible. But uh, she's, she's a great guest and she's going to provide a lot of insight uh, in terms of what is going on with the research, uh, what she had experienced, what she was able to discover um, at pretty much everything from start to finish. The story is important. Her story and many people's stories, including mine, they're very important because it is showing that this space, this uh, type of treatment is very viable. And, um, you know, there are very large agencies like the FDA who are interested in this. It's time to take it seriously. I hope you guys enjoy. All right, everybody, we have Jill Sitnik sitting with us today. You're going to help us out and talk about your guided experience with psychedelics. Right now, there are tens of millions of people who suffer every single day looking for some new alternative. Could this be one of them? Well, I have to say this is one of those stories. Jill, let's start with your story. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for letting me be here and sharing my story. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's, I'm really glad to have you here. Um, it's, a, it's a unique one. So uh, something that has been guided, um, can, you, can you talk about this guided experience in whatever, uh, whatever form that it took place? Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll go one at a time. I don't want to rapid fire questions at you so we can uh kind of go one at a time and no problem let me give you a little bit of background sure uh, my partner of 20 years passed away about six years ago and 18 months after his passing uh, i was stressed i was sad i was lonely i got a work email about some silly work requirement and it basically sent me over the edge to kind of a nonstop panic attack. My body was telling me constantly, 
the rug is being pulled out from under you. I had this sense of dread. My stomach was upset. My shoulders were tight. My head was spinning. And normally when folks have some sort of reaction, a physical reaction like that, it kind of calms down and reality sets in that, okay, these were just some certification tests I needed to take. There's no big deal. What was different was that uh, this panic attack did not go away for weeks. I was 150% sure I was going to be homeless. I was going to lose my job never get a job, lose my house. I mean, the whole deal, I was, I was in definitely, I was in that um, flight mode. I was just terrified. And I went back to my therapist who had helped me with my grief work and surprising me to no end. We started talking about my childhood, some of the awful stuff that happened when I was a kid. And she diagnosed me with PTSD from childhood trauma that hadn't been resolved. And I argued with her. I argued. (laughs) I was like, I'm a successful person. I had a bad childhood, but I, you know, I, I thought of PTSD as folks who were in war and, you know, had much more severe issues than I thought. She had me read the, uh, the body keeps the score. It's a great book for anybody who is looking at themselves, trying to determine if they've had some trauma, you know, what their bodies are saying. And from reading that book, I then believed her that, okay, this sense of dread that I have that I can't get over, that actually was making me mildly suicidal, because if you're constantly scared, you can't enjoy life. Okay, I've got PTSD. And then she said, You know, there's some amazing work happening with maps.org. It's literally M-A-P-S.org. They are working with the FDA, with the psychedelic MDMA as a breakthrough therapy, which means the FDA is very interested in this therapy and the breakthrough designation basically expedites drug development. And so I went to their website. I took a look. I saw the research, the clinical trials, the number of people who were no longer symptomatic of PTSD. And I went back to my therapist and said, I trust you. I trust uh, the guide that you will bring in. We had talked about that and I'll explain how that all works. And basically I started my psychedelic assisted psychotherapy process that happened over the course of a year with three psychedelic assisted medical journeys, a ton of integration. And at the end of the road, I'm talking to you now, I no longer qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. So uh, let me stop. What questions did I just create for, for you, for everybody? Like what came to mind? Uh, Well, immediately what came to mind was um, cool. You know, you, you got exposed to maps and you went to go, take a look and poke around um how much time until you said okay i think this is gonna work did it take days weeks how much time in terms of making the decision right i mean how compelling was the uh, the data on uh, on maps.org oh so not only was the data compelling, I mean, two, and I'm terrible at math, go look at the data themselves, like two thirds of the people who go through the treatment have noticeable improvement, if not 
if not like me, no longer having symptoms. I mean, I still have anxiety like anybody else. I still get emotional like anybody else. I do not have that sense of dread and that fear that I had before. And I think what also convinced me was the expertise my therapist knew. The She introduced me to uh, my guide, who was also a medical doctor, who had expertise. I would say probably from beginning of the idea, it may be about a month and a half, two months after I felt comfortable enough, after looking at the, looking at the data, reading, uh, reading the body keeps the score and peppering. (laughs) I I peppered my therapist with questions. I was screened. I had no history in my family of schizophrenia. If you have any history of schizophrenia, you want to stay away from psychedelics at this point. Uh, she knew my only diagnosis was PTSD. I think that's really important too. You know, she had helped me through my grief work. We had an established relationship. Uh, she knew there wasn't anything else going on other than the PTSD. And um, I think that's just really important that anybody going into this should be very, very clear with their clinician as to what their diagnosis is. And what can be done because too many people have like layered diagnoses and and the research isn't around yet for that, for simple, I shouldn't say simple. It's certainly not simple for PTSD or what's being called even more and more like complex PTSD. I'm not exactly sure where I fell in that. We just always called it PTSD. Right. It's just layered. Yeah. Layered. It's just layered. And there's uh, a, you know, I, even through my own experiences, I, Though it wasn't guided, um, I've had plenty of experiences with um, psilocybin for many, many years that I, I had decided to just um, take the responsibility and try to figure this out. And yes, it is layered. There's so much to it. And when you think you discovered the, the root, it, uh, it can lead you down further to discovering something else. And it, uh, it is most certainly generational too. And I think uh, you and I had spoken about uh, some of that stuff Um, going back to parents and then their parents and certain behaviors being adopted. So it's, it's difficult, but at the same time, I totally agree with the idea uh, of diagnosing properly, like knowing I, I felt, you know, to, to kind of have that comparison and to put the importance on why knowing um, the, uh, the, the purpose or the cause of you exploring psychedelics, Mm -hmm. why is that so critical is as I went through my experiences, I had clearly seen that something was wrong. I'm like, I'm doing this because I know something is, um, fundamentally wrong emotionally and psychologically. Um, but what, right? This is without a guide. And after, um, you know, several months, I started making breakthroughs. And then here we are today, several years later, it's about four plus years later. Um, and just knowing the why can uh, speed up the process. So I think you, you were talking about three sessions. And when I first heard about that, I said, that's pretty fast. That's quite rapid. Uh, but it did also take a year with your integration. 
as you had said. Um, I, you know, I feel like it's rare that we get to speak to somebody who's been through a, um, a medically approved guided session for PTSD where we can actually have a sit down like this. So I I feel uh, very fortunate that I can have you here and then share your story with, uh, with all the listeners and watchers. Um, you know, when we think of psychedelics, it's not just, um, it's not just one specific or simple compound. What was it that, uh, they turned you on to? What, What was their recommendation for you? So the, um, the first, all, all three of uh, my guided journeys, and, and I think we should talk about the term guided, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, what the basis or the foundation of the journeys was with MDMA. Okay. And MDMA was a synthesized or is a th- synthesized compound in the early 1900s. It releases a bunch of serotonin in your brain. It is, which is responsible for your sense of well-being. A lot of people know MDMA as the party drug ecstasy, but in a therapeutic sense, what it can do for a patient suffering from PTSD and intense fear. I mean, that's really what was driving my need to heal. I was terrified of life. The MDMA calms your body down. All those physical responses that a panic attack can bring, it calmed me down. And when I started to talk about some childhood memories, I was no longer feeling the physical response from those memories. And suddenly I could could look at that memory and see it from my 48, 49 year old perspective versus my uh, 10, 11, 12, 17, five-year-old perspective. And shit, that's the magic of the therapy. Well, it's magic of any therapy is changing your perspective. So being able to look at those memories and say, they were not my fault. My parents had a lot of issues. The MDMA calmed me down and let me start to have empathy for myself that I was not the root cause of, of the bad things that happened. And then I wrote, <laughs> I was constantly trying to explain to my friends this process, especially integration. Like integration is like physical therapy. So you have your talk therapy, which can go on for months. You have your day of the journey and journeys can last anywhere from five to eight hours. And then you have your months of integration. And it was almost like the MDMA during the journey highlighted certain memories that I needed to work through during my integration. And so like walking my dog is kind of like a meditation for me. Suddenly I'd have a memory just kind of float into focus and I would be able to look at it differently. And I would say every two to three months when I no longer had memories float up to change my perception um, and I, w- if I was still feeling symptomatic, that's when we then scheduled another journey. So that's kind of how the process. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's really yeah, that's really um, that's really smart to do it that way. Like go through the journey, spend a few months, reflect, see if anything comes up, 
And then if the symptoms start coming back. Uh, or are still there. Or are still there. Yeah. You schedule yeah. the next appointment and, um, and do it all over again until you get to the heart of the, the actual problem. Yes. Uh, which, again, being that, you know, emotional and psychological health can be a rabbit hole. It, uh, it can take longer for some and could be shorter for others. Um, it's pretty amazing the way you described it, the way the MDMA is working on the body um, to kind of calm you down, settle the symptoms, and then, um, I guess, allowing your mind in a way to be in a safe space to explore things, things that may be fragile to you. So it's very fascinating. You know how you would say to a friend, if a friend was saying that he or she was responsible for their parents' divorce, or, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't worth enough, my mother didn't love me. If you heard all of that stuff, as a friend, you would say, mm, sounds like your parents had some issues and it really wasn't your fault. That's almost exactly like what I was finally able to see in my own world. Nobody could have told me. I wouldn't have believed it because it was the trauma was trapped in my body. Uh, so it was um, my my journeys went reverse age. My first journey was much more about ages 19 and 16. Second journey was a little bit 16, a little bit 10, kind of like that age range. My third journey, the the really tough stuff was uh, four to five years old. So for me, wow. they were in age. Oh, that, well, that's that's interesting, but it it makes sense why there's uh, such a range uh, uh, for the ages too, because uh, uh, certain memories that are happening, whether it's uh, trauma related, are only happening, you know, at very you know various times in your life and. They're going to be at different ages. So that's why it's such a gap, right? 16 to 12 or 10 to, you know, 20. It's, um, it's, not a, it's not perfect, but it does explain why there's such a scatter as memories start coming back and they're scattered from different age groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many triggers and that's kind of like what you're describing is what are the, what are the triggers that um, bring up the memories or that um, have the symptoms surface physically uh, when, when you were handed those certi- certification papers, I mean, uh, that, was that common, you know, was that something that would have commonly happened? You're like, okay, I'll just fill them out and be done with it. When, when you, when it first, when you first had like the, uh, the panic attack. Uh, here's what I've learned. And when I've talked to other folks, it, what's really interesting is that I had some symptoms of the PTSD, hyperproductivity, hyperawareness, a real drive to succeed without feeling like I was qualified to succeed. But I also had a very loving uh, partner with, with Carl. I had a loving long-term 20-year relationship. He always kind of counteracted. I felt safe with him. And so while some of the PTSD was kind of maybe at like a three or a four for most of my life, and therefore most of my life, if I had gotten that email, it would have been like, you know, water off the duck's back. I'm hyper productive. Okay, this is something else I have to do. 
it was his loss and the exhaustion around his loss. Year one is awful after losing someone that close. For me, year two was worse because year two is when it really, the fog starts to go away and you're really aware that that person is never going to be in your future. And so for me, I think, uh, I just got, I, I just got to a breaking point to be candid. I think that's what happened with me. Got it. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the email. It just, it just happened to, to just trigger. It was like everything bottling up at, up until that point. Yeah. I mean, um, the breaking point, uh, is gonna, it's gonna vary from person to person and, uh, the, like the trigger, the official trigger is going to vary too. It could be the smallest thing or the largest thing. Um, but uh, my coworkers were- I was crazy because I was so <laughs> panicked about these certifications and my coworkers were like, Jill, really? And I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Life throws so much at you. And, um, I, you know, it's something that I realized through my own trips that uh, at every stage of life, there's, new challenges and, and, and things that you're going to face. Um, the, the toughest is if you've got past traumas that you cannot overcome, it prevents you from moving forward as well, uh, from growing, from, uh, you know, expecting more from yourself, uh, holding yourself responsible and accountable. Um, these are all things that, uh, the, uh, the experiences of, whether it's psilocybin or any type of psychedelic, I feel would generally provide these insights if you're receptive enough to, to really kind of uh, pick up on them, reflect on them, um, and really try to uh, dissect them over time. So, well, so should we talk about intentions and intention setting? Sure. It's very important. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, before we dive into that, you had talked about um, how you were introduced to the guide and what that kind of means. You wanted to clear up what, what that kind of meant. And then we'll dive into intentions shortly after. Yeah, maybe we can. Let's do that that foundation and we can talk about what the actual journey day and how the intentions work. Um so my gut, what was the first question? My guide and understanding who my guide was. Yeah. Like you were introduced to the guide and then, you know, uh, you had told me, well, you know what? I want to clear up exactly what that means. Oh, like, oh, what, oh is it, what is a guide? That's right. So I had lots of talk therapy sessions, obviously with my therapist. It's for me, my brain was the only thing that kind of kept me alive my entire life. It was my livelihood. I was very, very, I had believed every stereotype I had ever heard about drugs and I needed quite a, I peppered, I peppered my (laughs) guide and my therapist with 10 million questions. And um, what a guide is my definition. And from my experience is that it is someone who is experienced being sober sitting in a clinical in a clinical setting or with an intention to heal to simply guide a patient keep the space safe can be very terrifying going through childhood stuff and so the guide's responsibility is to make the patient feel very comfortable with the procedure feel very comfortable in the space and one of the things that, that I found fascinating 
and this comes after my third journey and talking to my guide about the process is that my guide said that the guide's role is only to specifically guide if the guide hears something dangerous. 90% of the time, the guide is supposed to simply mirror what the patient is talking about for the patient to continue to deep dive into whatever is going on in his or her mind. And I say that because I was chatty. (laughs) I know that's a shock for people listening to me right now. During therapeutic journeys, it's not uncommon for you to put on an eye mask. Some folks really like music as headphones and to lie down and let the psychedelic or the medicine really work in their brain. I wasn't like that as much. My doctors had to force me to lay down and be quiet. And I don't mean force in a bad way. I mean, suggesting, hey, Jill, why don't you let the medicine work? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when you are chatting and if you are chatting, the guides are not telling you anything. They're simply suggesting a different viewpoint. If something you talk about is really dangerous, like I didn't think I belonged on this earth. I really didn't. I thought I was a mistake. I didn't belong here. My guide kind of gently pushed back to, against that kind of very dangerous idea. But other than that, it was um, just guiding, saving, keeping the space safe. So I just wanted to be super clear that if you hear from anybody that he or she is going to direct you or uh, really like the, the patient, in my opinion, the patient should really be directing the treatment. And the guide should simply be guiding the experience so that it stays safe. I think that's maybe the best, the best way to sum it up. Did that, did that make sense? It made sense in my head. (laughs) It it made sense, of course. And uh, uh, that's kind of the idea I would have imagined is like somebody that keeps the space relatively safe. I wouldn't have uh, guessed or expected them to uh, intervene at any given point. Um, I wouldn't have known that uh, that would have been something they were, they were allowed to do, but also makes sense. As you said, if there is something that would be considered um, uh, dangerous, dangerous, yeah, like uh, self-inflicted danger, you know, pain, harm, then yeah, I can see that. Um, so it does, it does make sense and it's great that it exists. I wonder exactly what, um, you know, how they'll evolve the, uh, the therapy methods. They're seeing such great, great results. And when I was looking at the data, um, it, it showed, I think it was from NIH or it was from somewhere that I had seen the data point. It suggested that people, um, who had undergone these guided uh, clinical trials, like some high percentage were, yeah, I mean, high percentage of of them were uh, being declared uh, to not have PTSD anymore so that they couldn't really continue the trials anymore. Like they were, I mean, consider they were being considered like, yeah, they were being considered like, okay, you're kind of, you're kind of semi-cured now. So you don't really qualify for the, for the trial. Uh, but it's showing great results. Um, Some, you know, uh, some of the things that, that people describe in their trips can uh, oftentimes be um, quite ridiculous, you know, 
Um, and it makes you wonder if they're making up stories. And then there are people that um, kind of exaggerate their stories. But ultimately, there's, I want to say, something that um, always ties in with every story, and that's the, the impact. If someone was with the right intention, and this is going into, segueing into intentions with the right intention, the purpose, um, understanding why, like you, you can hear it in their stories of like, okay, you, you know, you understood what you're trying to, uh, to do here. And whether or not you got all the answers, you may have gotten at least closer to the answers you're seeking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell yeah. me, tell me your experience with intentions. What, um, how did you discover that? I think intentionality, and again, it's my personal opinion. I think intentionality is one of the differences between a therapeutic psychedelic experience versus a recreational, more, more fun experience that my uh, therapist and I, we kind of distilled all the physicality and, and like if uh, the very first time I had talked about this panic attack, I just knew that something was around the corner was, was going to come get me. I, I just knew there was, there was something happening. We eventually got down to the fact after weeks of talk therapy that I just had this sense of dread that I was just afraid of the future. I was afraid of the universe. And those became my two intentions for probably the first and second journey. I would like to stop being afraid of the future. I want to stop thinking the universe is out to get me. I want to stop thinking something is bad right around the corner and with my gut, we had uh, sessions with my guide before we had talk therapy sessions with my guide before the therapy, before the psychedelic journey also. So my guide and my therapist were totally on the same page in terms of what my intentions were, a bit of my background and my childhood to understand what, you know, my guide was dealing with. Obviously, my therapist had the entire story of, of everything. Right, right. And I think that's what helps actually guide, help the guide. Like, what are your intentions? The, the, the weird thing, too, is that the more trauma I had, the deeper my trauma, the cagier I got in my journeys. I would chat. I would try to stay awake. I was scared. I was scared of going to some of that hard stuff. And my guide and my therapist just kept going, taking me back to the intentions And the intentions throughout the integration process, I mean, I look back, I did a ton of journaling and I really encourage when more and more people start going through this therapy that however they can record their experiences that they should, because it's only through looking at my journals, I can see how those intentions about not being afraid of the future, they just they just played out in terms of, okay, this is the memory that caused you to think X. This is the memory that caused you to think Y. Well, now it makes sense why I was afraid of the future. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. It's really, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it sheds a lot of light. We're going to take a quick break, less than 30 seconds, and then we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. Smash the like, sub if you want to stick around. This episode was sponsored by grassdoor.com. 
Canvas delivery made simple at your door in 45 minutes or less. Plus, you can save 40% on your first purchase. Use the code daily at checkout. So when you discovered the intention that must have made life a lot easier to, uh, to kind of hone in on what you wanted to discover and address. Um, and as you went through each session, you focused on different parts of your life where perhaps trauma had occurred. Um, out, of all, out of all the three experiences, which one would you have, uh, would you say was the most uh, eye-opening or beneficial for your growth? Oh my gosh. Uh, hands down the third journey because the, the first and the second journeys were in hindsight, were actually getting me comfortable enough to deal with the big time trauma. Uh, my mother, when I was about five years old, uh, tried to commit suicide with a shotgun and wow. my father and I found her. Uh, uh, she survived. She has since passed, but I always thought that was the big trauma. It turns out that there was a deeper trauma, probably when I was about four, there was this memory of my father charging up the stairs, grabbing me by the leg, dragging me downstairs, throwing me across the room. And then he went upstairs and he beat my mother. And the trauma of that memory was that I, as a little four-year-old, four or five-year-old, stayed downstairs with my little dressy Betsy doll. And I didn't do anything. I didn't go to a neighbor. I didn't run upstairs to try to help. I was so scared that I, I huddled a survival instinct. What else would you expect from a child? But unfortunately that I interpreted my little four or five year old mind interpreted that I'm a mean little girl. I'm heartless. I'm not helping my mother. Uh, no wonder she doesn't love me. She wants to commit suicide and get away from me. Like it was all about me and right. I carried stuff. And I, I preface what I'm about to, I have to tell you that background because the third journey started with MDMA. I had had a nightmare during my talk, during the months up, I had had a nightmare about a little mini Jill in my childhood home and very long story short, through meditation, through talk therapy, like I couldn't get that little five-year-old Jill out of the house that my mother had tried to kill herself in so many times. And it was just kind of this weird nagging thing. I still had all the PTSD symptoms of being terrified of the dread, being very lonely. I felt, I felt lonely at my core. And one of the intentions, we added the intention of getting that little girl out of that childhood home. We didn't know why it was important. We just knew it was important. And so as soon as almost, almost within an hour of taking the MDMA, I let in the third journey, I let my guide and therapist know that not only was there a little girl in the downstairs of the house that I had dreamed about, there was a little Jill upstairs locked in her bedroom withering away. I actually, in my book, I actually call her malnourished Jill. She was alone. She was half the size of what she should be. She was twirling her hair. I used to twirl my hair a whole lot. And my guides at that point knew, okay, this is, this is big. She has, she has held this image in her head that she is a 
malnourished, alone little girl stuck in that house. And everything outside that door is terrifying because her father's there to beat her up and beat up her mother. So we continued with the MDMA portion of the journey. And when my guide, this goes back to the intentionality and the guides guiding, when my guides guided and said, well, let's try to get little Jill out of that house. I couldn't, there was no door to the house where the door really was. It was just a wall. And at that point, uh, my guides, and, and we had talked about this as a possibility, my guides gave me a little bit of psilocybin. I mean, like a minimal dose because I already had MDMA in my system. And what that did, what is so amazing is with their guidance, and I didn't talk while I, while I had the psilocybin in my, in my um, system, but I had enough guidance from them and I felt safe enough that that portion of the journey, my childhood home actually like broke apart. Like, you know, when you make a gingerbread house and maybe you don't put enough icing on and like the walls fall over. Yeah. That's how the house came apart. And me as the little five-year-old is just watching this house come apart. And it was, it was just, it was beautiful. It was just, oh my gosh. And then I suddenly found myself little malnourished Jill in a beautiful garden without any adults. And Again, I wasn't talking during this process, but the memory was so vivid that when I told my, because again, I had only a tiny bit of psilocybin. So I kind of got out of that portion of the journey quickly. When I told my guides about that, they were joking with me. They were like, oh my gosh, that garden, we need to get you, we need to get you some Kool-Aid. We need to get you, you know, a pool. And I was like, no, just I'm free. My parents, they can't hurt me anymore. Uh, so that I, that experience, I think most people would say, oh my gosh, it's kind of like what they would expect from a psychedelic experience, kind of like a, a, an, a really fascinating story. But I, I make the point of saying it took three journeys to get there. It took the MDMA to make me feel comfortable enough and safe enough. I never would have gotten to age five or age four or five and that deep trauma if I hadn't done the work beforehand. Absolutely. I, it's the first time I've ever heard the, um, the blending of psychedelic substances yeah. um, used in this fashion. I've never heard it before. It's usually one or the other, um, but it's fascinating to hear that adding the psilocybin opened up that that wall that you couldn't access. Um, I feel that uh, long-term use of psilocybin has definitely done similar things for me too, is um, it peels back layers again and again and again and again, um, the, and you go deeper and deeper. And uh, this is kind of uh, where the idea of, for the first time, acknowledging that there is an ego within you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that um, and that it could die. It doesn't necessarily die. It's that if you've gone through the process and you've come out the other side and you've realized that it's actually uh, it's still you with a lot of insecurities 
you, you know, and that you have to address them, hold yourself accountable to them, um, choose to be better, be more, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. be more aware of uh, your, your actions, your reactions, your uh, thought processes, your, I mean, it's so many things. It dives into behavior so much. This yeah. is one area that's so amazing to see that um, aside from helping people, let's say with my case, mm-hmm. there, was, there was so many things that had happened um, while I went through the processes mm-hmm. um, and every journey I appreciated for whatever insight it provided. And yeah. even when there wasn't any, it was just a beautiful experience of feeling uh, whole again, feeling connected, feeling like, you know, we're uh, being a part of this divine experience of life. Like we are alive for, and for a long time, I felt that way. Um, and it diminishes over time and you have to go back and dose yourself again. This is where what you said is important, writing down, not just, um, what you had experienced and what you were trying to overcome, but the insights and the epiphanies and the improvements that you're getting out of it so that you don't forget that um, at one point through all of this, that you did experience how amazing being alive is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're breathing. We have, yep. we, we create thought and art and music and so much, so many beautiful things. So, so with uh you're talking a lot about psilocybin. And so for folks who are, are now intrigued about that, uh, the research, the FDA is working with Johns Hopkins on psilocybin on clinical trials, I believe right now for depression, but I just saw one, I just saw a clinical trial come through the other day for smoking, smoking cessation for uh, at Johns Hopkins using psilocybin. So there's a number of clinical trials going on there that, if you're, if you're interested in that particular compound, or you have another diagnosis than PTSD, take a look at the Johns Hopkins website, because that's basically what happened. The FDA went with these two organizations to, to work with the clinical trials. And to, and, and to basically fund the researching and whatever. No, um, not to fund it, to, to be a part of the process, to understand what's going on. The data from both organizations was so good the first time around, the FDA took notice and said, wow, there's something really good here. So they've just been, uh, the FDA does not fund. That's part of the, part of the problem. Why clinical trials are so tough to get off the ground. They're very expensive. Uh, Right. I just mention it because to me, when I was doing the research, as soon as I understood the terminology of breakthrough therapy, that the FDA was actively looking and interested in this, that, that kind of gave me a bit of validity. You know what I mean? Right, that there's more. There's more to this science. That you know that even if they're interested, there there must be something more, right? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, and and yeah. as you as you put it, right? What did they um, understanding the the terminology of breakthrough um, trials? So it's it's, uh, it's far different than normal, right? It's far different than normal, and and far different than any other way uh, you can describe a clinical trial. Something right. that's Something like this is a, a true breakthrough for humanity, for so many people in need. I bring up, uh, I bring up the, the comparisons to kind of show that um, we can, depending on the substance, we can 
almost reach the same destination. Almost. Not well, every time. I think depending on, depending on a diagnosis. I, I I mean, yeah. 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 I, I, I understand. But yeah. uh, for, for, let's say, uh, for as a, as a blanket terminology of like, let's say mental health, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of these things will help. Maybe I think one, so. with enough yeah, support. W- yep. w- one may, may do better than another, but we're seeing that like, wow, you know, um, psilocybin worked great for me. If I had PTSD, maybe the MDMA plus psilocybin would work great for that. Right. Um, but just looking at um, psychedelic substances across the board uh, and seeing that, uh, okay, we're beginning to really use them and we're uh, and we have this awesome, you know, uh, journey that you've been through and you've been through so much and you've overcome so much. I'm, I'm really happy for you, uh, for you to have made it to the other side. I mean, that's a lot of painful memories and, you know, childhood traumas are not, uh, they're, they're generally buried. And, you know, as you become an adult, it, it's very common that you, feel the need to like just work and provide and sustain and consume uh you're going through the everyday motions of the average uh american adult but you know it doesn't mean that these things disappeared you just have you just have chosen to ignore them yeah and yeah the layers continue to grow from there as you get older and older it's best to in my opinion to address these things early on in life, if you can, they become harder when you, as you uh, climb up in age um, and they become more evident too, because now you have more free time to reflect. So it's a, it's a very painful to see, uh, but also very beautiful to witness when uh, there's such amazing uh, outcomes like yours. Um, well, and you know what, you know what too, I mean, I think it's really important for everybody to understand that trauma is very individualized. Trauma is just that you have trapped emotions that you couldn't safely release at that time. And so one of the reasons why I fought with my therapist that I didn't have trauma was because, yeah, I was beaten up. Yeah. But I always had a roof over my head. I always had food. It wasn't great food, but I always had food. Like I had the basics. I wasn't in, foster care. I wasn't sexually molested. I could just list all these more terrible things that I didn't have happen. So of course I didn't have trauma. And I I think what's really important as I've been talking to people is that there is no bar. There's no like winning circle of, oh, this person really has trauma. Anything can cause. So if you are feeling trapped in your life, if you have this sense of dread, if you if you know that just things aren't working, but you're like, ah, I had a roof over my head, I had two parents, or whatever you think is normal, like what Mike said, you know, take a look at it because trauma is very individual. And if you look at it as unreleased emotions, all of a sudden it can be it can be getting bullied on the playground. anything and and that clearly that uh you know something like that happening to somebody uh long term if it's suppressed and unchecked uh leads to further psychological issues and emotional issues which can also lead down to some horrible uh outcomes 
um, like mass shootings. I mean, um, it's it's horrible that they happen, but uh, I feel like the way I've I've said this for a while on my podcast for uh, whenever I'm talking about uh, taking psychedelics, I feel like when the world finally accepts all this and more people can consume these things openly, safely, mm-hmm. um, within their own discretion and experiences, uh, we might someday find a peace because we would have found them within ourselves first. Oh, that's beautiful. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to take some time because the way we treat each other is quite awful. Um, and that's just one example, being bullied. Uh, though yes it happens as has happened since the beginning of time of you know civilization and uh but uh nowadays people are um are aren't really handling them all that well and it leads to worse problems it's really cool to analyze all of the different possibilities of um of the different substances that can be used um, the for like, you know, other than MDMA, I believe um, they are researching with ketamine too, I think PTSD. Uh, Uh, Depression. I, I know, I only know of the depression ones. Ketamine, I believe is legal. Uh, So you don't have to have a clinical trial for that. Then there's a lot of, I didn't look into ketamine because I didn't have that diagnosis, but you're right. For, I, I must have read it somewhere that, uh, uh, and it could vary on the article. So the, depending on how they write it, they might I- include that it's being used for PTSD and depression. And in right. other articles, they may not include it. Um, right. And this is where I have that kind of blanket statement or that feeling or idea that, you know, from from the you know from a broader perspective like any one of these could potentially work and i suppose if we can learn how they work um we can guide people a little bit better to figuring out which one might be the right choice for them um you know until that time comes we're still kind of trapped in this i want to say uh bureaucratic world of red tape and um and laws yeah, I remember you had once said when we had spoken prior that it's so important uh, to get all the positive stories out about how these um, these chemicals are helping people before all the crazy clickbait and large publications jump on it to uh, to to bash it. Which I'm already seeing that happen, and uh, you know. MDMA was classified as a controlled substance in the 80s, uh, 70s or 80s. Forgive my timeline. I'm not a historian. Uh, If you do want to understand the history behind psychedelics and how we kind of got to this place, uh, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind is an excellent book. Great. Tons of information, but still easy to read. He He breaks it all down. And, you know, the the labeling of some of these substances as sub as the way the way they've been labeled it was not because they didn't show promise with the research for mental health it was purely political and we cannot i feel very strongly that this cannot become some politicians thing to talk about and 
make people scared. I really wanted to get my story out to explain this is an actual therapy with real results that is not anything like the stereotypes we have in our head about psychedelics. And so, Mike, I mean, I just, I can't thank you enough for allowing me to have this conversation with you because that's, that's really the goal. That's why I'm on podcasts. That's why I wrote the book. Like that's my goal to let people know that this is a legitimate way to heal. And more, more and more people are discovering that to be true. And your story um, uh, is an addition to all the substantial evidence that's out there showing that it is, uh, it is in fact legitimate. Um, your book, what is it called? I titled it Rescuing Jill. Because that's a great I, name. I really felt like my guides in that third journey, I really felt like they rescued me with, with the psychedelic work and all the talk therapy. I, I really felt like I was rescued. So it's, it's Rescuing Jill. It's, it's up on Amazon. It's a quick read. Uh, it, it is a tearjerker, <laughs> <I'll worry. laughs> uh, but that's just another way that I'm trying to get the word out that, you know, you, you get to, you get to really see, I wrote it as chronological as possible without hindsight as 2020, so that you kind of go on the year long journey with me, with things I didn't know, with all my fears, with all my shame. Uh, I just wanted to give people as close as possible, a sense of what the experience was like. That's what I did. Well, I mean, it's uh, I'm sure it's a good book, even for a short read. Um, sure. I, I will link it down below. Uh, I will request that from you so that others can go check it out. There's uh, still so much to learn and so much to explore in this space. I think we are early in the revolution. I have been calling it the psychedelic revolution. You know, as you said, most most of the um, most of the issues around substances generally is political. Um, though I understand your concern, I, I want to draw your attention to like look at what's happening in the cannabis space and in the psilocybin space. Yes. Um, uh, broader expect, uh, acceptance, not just from uh, the population, but from local governments and above, right? I don't. I don't think that. Um, I don't think uh, they'll use these as um, as topics of concern for any future campaigning. Um, okay. I mean, uh, and hopefully they do their research too, because uh, as we see positive results with PTSD, I mean, we've got we've got so many people um, coming back from overseas that can really use this. Yeah, but we right. Yes. Like we yeah. should definitely we should definitely take care of them. We also have many people like yourself and like myself and uh, virtually everybody. It's one of the main things that came to my mind when after years of going through it and reflecting, it's you never forget and you, it, you always reflect on your experiences with these substances of, uh, of what you, what, you know, what was going through your head, what memories came up, what, uh, what were you analyzing and why, yep. um, and so, uh, yeah, I, it never, uh, my, my therapist, I, I texted, I had a question to that. And, uh, the response back was, you know, integration never ends. <laughs> and, you know, that made me feel really comfortable. That really made me feel comfortable that, uh, there is, it's not like, it's not like a, right. You know, 
But, well, because then you would feel like, oh, uh, well, it's, I'm not there yet. Why am I not there yet? It's, it's going to take a long time and it's going to take some effort too. And it's, uh, a it's a, yeah, it's a process. Enjoy the process of reintegrating and uh, kind of relearning things uh, yes. as, 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 uh, as, as truth as, uh, as far as it can be truth in any case, you know, the learning, the new truths of, existence yes. uh there, there's so much that uh that comes up but there was something that uh was on my mind and then it slipped my mind so oh, it's gone so I'm it's sorry. gone now <laughs> don't be i mean it's part it's it's part of podcasting we're gonna we're gonna we're going through rapidly so so many different topics and ideas as we share them so it's gonna happen but um i think i, think, I just want to leave people with uh, the right expectation. You have been great in talking about your own personal journey and the time it has taken. This is not a, as much as it maybe condenses the amount of therapy time. I, I don't know if I ever would have gotten to that little four or five year old and talk therapy. I, I don't know if that ever would have happened, but it certainly wouldn't have happened over a year, five, 10 years, whatever. It certainly condenses the amount of time, but I, I love that you explained your experience of integration because I just want people to walk away from this knowing that it's not a quick fix. You have to put the work in. You have to be willing to dive into the pain and give yourself the grace of the time it takes for your mind to heal. So I, I loved how you kind of talked about that. Thank you. That's that's very kind of you to say. Um, well, so many insights and um I, I have felt that I can take these substances for the rest of my life as I venture down the rabbit hole of trying to understand the nature of the universe and existence. Um, but not even in this lifetime will I ever get all the answers. No one will. But um, it's fun trying to. The exploration and understanding yourself more. Yes. You know, you're just more solid afterward. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of the great takeaways from it is not only do you, can you cure your um, your PTSD with the MDMA, but coming out stronger, yeah, a little more confident, happier, ready to take on you know, uh, uh, ready to take back control of your life, yeah. you know, your future. So those are all positive things. I I can only uh, imagine that that is a goal for many people it's yeah like in order to get further in your life in whatever your your goals may be you have to deal with the past oftentimes just like i said in the beginning as they hold up a lot of barriers and you know people don't realize that uh, they self sabotage why does that happen right where is that where does that you know how does that fit in uh but it, we talked about it in uh, like a couple of weeks ago, you and I, um, about triggers and how they affect your day-to-day -day life. You don't realize you're getting triggered and it's beginning to cause the symptoms of panic or whatever. Um, it could be in social circumstances, but uh, if, you, if you don't even know what's triggering you and it's all subconscious, it's going to happen again and again and again. And you'll never, you may never understand why the hell this is happening to you. Yeah. 
you know? Yep. Absolutely. Crazy. Absolutely. The, uh, if anybody is listening, feeling or having the experience of having his or her body really have a reaction, a, a strong reaction to something repeatedly for me over the years, it was definitely a, a burning pain in my neck and a feeling of, I can't, I can't get, I can't get stuff done fast enough. I, I have to outrun this. That was kind of the feeling I had throughout my whole life. Wow. Read, read the body keeps the score because it'll suddenly start to all make sense uh, after reading. At least that's the book that did it for me. I should say it that way. That's the book that made it all made sense, made sense for me. And then, I mean, it could make sense for me too. And anybody else that gives it a chance. It's all about perspective. Like you said, if you could shift your perspective and that's what, uh, what a lot of these substances can do for you. Um, you know, of course, be careful out there. Thanks yes. for joining us. I really appreciate you, Jill, for making the time to come on. Your story is uh, really incredible. And uh, I, I only wish you the best. I want more people to come forward saying that uh, their lives have made a complete 180 from where they were. So we'll yeah. see. Let's hopefully, hopefully this encourages more conversations. 